Good morning, Grace Chapel. Thank you for joining us for Church Online. We are finishing our series this week on Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 that he gives at the end of the farewell discourse. We've called this the real Lord's Prayer. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me now to John chapter 17, verse 20. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word, for it to shape us, to mold us, and make us into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that in your word, your love, your grace, your compassion, and your mercy towards us is revealed, but that also in your word, you reveal your desires for us. And Lord, as we study this prayer this morning, we pray that our hearts would be open to be convicted, shaped, and molded by your word. It's in your name we pray these things now. Amen. When I was a child, there was one thing I could be confident of every morning when I woke up. Uh, if I went down the stairs, if I was to go into my parents' living room, I know that my dad would be seated in his blue leather recliner with a white crocheted blanket on his lap, his Bible seated on top of the blanket, his coffee on the table next to him, and my dad would be reading his Bible and praying. You see, growing up, I was blessed to have parents, a mother and a father, who both prayed for me regularly. And having three brothers, having four boy children, I know that there were probably some times that we exhausted and wore out our parents. But one thing I know now is that my parents' prayers for me were not the product of exhaustion, but they were an overflow of their love for me. And I'm certain today that I would not be where I am or who I am were it not for my parents' prayers. And I also know that my parents are still praying for me and my brothers regularly. So mom and dad, I want to thank you for that. Like I said, maybe you didn't have the blessing of growing up in a Christian home with parents who regularly interceded to God on your behalf because of the love they have for you and the love that they have for God. But this morning, I want you to know that there is one who has a deeper love for you that runs deeper than the love that a parent even has for a child and that he has lifted you up in his prayers. 
In John chapter 17, we read this in verse 20. Jesus in this prayer has prayed for his own glorification. He has prayed for the disciples who have been with him. And in verse 20, he makes a subtle turn. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus looks forward through all generations, through all geography, uh, all nations, and he looks forward to everyone at every time and in every place who would place their faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself prays for them. You see, there's deep comfort in knowing that our Savior, Jesus Christ, has prayed for us. He has lifted up our name before the Father. But it wasn't just in John 17 that he did this. We know from Scripture that he is still interceding to the Father regularly on our behalf. This is the love that Jesus Christ has for us. In John 17, when Jesus is praying, we know that the pressures of the world are closing in around him. We know that he is about to go to the cross where he's going to die for you and for me. He's going to die for our sins. And then with this pressure closing in, with the pressure squeezing him, his heart overflows with intercession for you and for me. He looks to us. And we saw last week, as Pete shared, that Jesus prays for a number of things for followers of Jesus Christ. He prays for our protection, that the Father would protect us. He prays for our joy, that we would have his joy. And he prays for our sanctification. And this morning, we're going to look at two more things that Jesus prays for believers. He prays for our unity and he prays for our glorification. And having looked at these two things, we want to look at the purpose that he prays for these things in this prayer. So the first thing we see that Jesus prays for here is he prays for our unity. Look at verse 21. He says that they may all be one. He comes back to it in verse 22. He says that they may be one even as we are one. And in verse 23, he says that they may become perfectly one. And Jesus prays for our unity. The, the need for this prayer should not be surprising to us. We live in a world that is divided amongst themselves. We are racially divided. We are politically divided. We are socioeconomically divided. And if you watch the news, we are even divided in our responses to the coronavirus pandemic. The ruin of the human race is that we have been alienated from God through sin. But sometimes maybe we fail to understand that because of our alienation from God through sin, those same sins have left us broken and scattered amongst ourselves. They've left us alienated one from another. And occasionally in our society, we, we make attempts at unity, but oftentimes those attempts are superficial at best. A lot of people might agree to disagree. And that's the best they can come towards unity. But what do we mean when we say that we're going to agree to disagree? Is it not that we just mean I'll be cordial enough just to get through this time or through this period or through this moment with you, uh, but I'm not going to love you or like you enough beyond that? 
Is that really the kind of unity we desire? Or perhaps we want a unity that runs deeper than that. A unity that is bound up in a love that is so great that it transcends whatever differences we might have with each other. And Jesus gives us an idea of what Christian unity is really all about. He gives us at least four things here that are foundational to Christian unity. The first thing we see is that Christian unity is rooted in the word of Christ. We have to look at who Jesus is praying for in this prayer. In verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. When he says these only, that's a reference to the apostles. I do not just ask for the apostles or the 12 disciples, but I also ask for everyone who will believe in me, he says, through their word. And so Jesus is praying specifically for everyone who hears the word about Christ and they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we today, we have this word revealed to us in scripture. We have the apostles word revealed to us, uh, uh, collected. And as Romans chapter 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so we see that Christian unity is rooted in the word of Christ. Perhaps this is why the apostles were so devoted to sound doctrine. They were so devoted to training up others in the teachings about Jesus Christ. Because to stray from the word of Christ is to stray from Christ. And to stray from Christ is to stray from the unity we have in the body of Christ. For Christian unity to be rooted in Christ is to understand that Christian unity is not in spite of doctrine, but it is because of doctrine, because of the deep truths we have in the word of God. And so Christian unity is rooted in the word of Christ. We see also that Christian unity is rooted in the triune God. In verse 21, we read this. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Verse 22, he comes back to it. That they may be one, even as we, Father and Son, are one. This is an astounding claim. What does it mean to have unity rooted in the triune God? Well, there's something about the triune God. We see that there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this this triune God has a unity in that they are one, and yet they are not the same. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father and vice versa. However, they are united together. And so the will of the Father the activity of the Son, the empowerment of the Spirit, all work together towards one end goal, which is the salvation of all God's people. And I think the church, uh, Jesus says here, is to have that same kind of unity. Uh, Not uniformity. We are not all the same. We don't sacrifice any personality that we have as individuals, but we have unity around one common mission. Our unity is to fulfill the will of our Father who is in heaven. 
We also see that Christian unity is rooted in union with Jesus Christ. In verse 21, we read these words, that they may also be in us. That two-letter word in is really important. He says it again in 23. I in them and you in me. Verse 26, he comes back to it right at the end of this prayer. And I in them. Union with Christ is one of the glorious mysteries of the gospel. The triune unity of God is not merely a idea that we aspire to faintly imitate. But the mystery of the gospel is that we, some miraculous power of God, come to participate in that unity. And in scripture, it's revealed to us as union with Christ. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul refers to this union with Christ as the glorious mystery of the gospel. And what does he call the glorious mystery of the gospel? He says it is Christ in us. And then he calls it the hope of glory. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, well, we are reminded that we, we are a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Union with Christ, it's a mystery. Perhaps the best picture of union with Christ is the one we get in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus speaks of the vine and the branches, and he encourages his disciples to to abide in him or to remain in him. You see, there's something interesting about vines and branches. If a branch gets detached from the vine, then the branch can no longer produce fruit. However, when a branch is grafted into the vine or when it it remains attached to the vine, then and only then can the branch actually produce fruit. This is the mystery of union with Christ. In scripture, we're told that we are crucified with Christ. We are buried with Christ in baptism so that one day we will live with him. These ideas that we are united to Christ are littered throughout scripture. Rankin Wilborn says this, God created you to be united to him. Therefore, you are more and most yourself whenever you are united to Christ. This is one of the glorious mysteries of the gospel, that that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. The fourth thing we see here about our Christian unity is that Christian unity is rooted in the glory that God has given us. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. What is this glory about which Jesus speaks that the father gave the son and then the son gave to us? Back in John chapter 17, verse 4 and 5, Jesus speaks about glory. In verse 4, he says this, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. 
You see, in verse 5, we see uh, the eternal transcendent glory of Christ. But in verse 4, we see that there was a glory of Christ that was fulfilled in his incarnation, in his coming to us. And that incarnation is the means through which he accomplished all of the work that God gave him to do. What I would say about the glory that has been given to us is the glory of Christ that has been given to us is the manifestation of the salvation activity of God in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The glory that we have been given is our salvation. Is that through faith in Jesus Christ, who came as God incarnate, who died on a cross, who was buried and three days rose again, and then later ascended to heaven, seated with God on high. The glory that we have been given is that through faith in Jesus Christ, we can one day be together with him. This is an astounding reality of scripture. Scripture says that we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It says we have been adopted as sons. It says we have been given the word of Christ in which the truth about Christ is revealed. It says we have been given the name of God. It says we have become partakers in the divine nature of God. Scripture repeatedly reminds us of the glory we have because of our salvation. And so we see here that Christian unity is rooted in the word of Christ. It is rooted in the triune God. It is rooted in our union with Christ, and it is rooted in the glorious salvation, the glory that Christ has given us. As we assess these things, we begin to grasp at the reality that Christian unity is not about human accomplishments, human achievements, human desires, human willpower. Christian unity is rooted in the person and the work of Christ in us. Christian unity is rooted in what Christ has accomplished on our behalf and what he is continuing to accomplish in our lives. This is why Christians from every tribe, tongue, and nation will one day worship together because our unity is not in anything superficial. It is not because we look alike, dress alike, act alike. Our Christian unity is because we have the same salvation from the same God. Uh, I think oftentimes about many of the missions trips that I have gone on. Uh, I've gone to places where the people don't speak the same language as me, where they don't dress in the same kinds of clothes as me, where they don't live in the same kinds of homes that I, I've grown up in and that I presently live in, where they don't have the same kinds of jobs that we work here in the United States. Uh, their backgrounds, their experiences are, are drastically different than mine. But one of the things that stands out to me from all of these missions trips is that on every single one of these missions trips, I come to the place where I have a close bond with somebody who is nothing like me. A bond that transcends all of our differences. And in every case, that bond we share is the bond we have through the common faith that we have in Jesus Christ. This is 
Christian unity. We are one family across nations, across generations. We are one family of God united together, just as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. And now Jesus has this desire for us, that we would actually look like that. Now Jesus' second request it builds upon his, his final foundation of Christian unity when he reveals to us the glory that he has given us. Jesus' second request is this. He prays for our glorification. Let's look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus prays for our glorification. As you read those verses, when he says, Father, that they may be with me and that they may see me, we start to grasp at or, or get an idea of the Christian concept of eternity. You know, there was a show that recently ended. The show is called The Good Place. And a short summary of the show is that it's a story about all these characters who are trying to get to the good place. Now, the good place is nothing more than a syncretized idea of heaven, a place where all the good people go. However, in the series finale, uh, something tragic happens. The people all get there and it doesn't quite live up to their expectations. You see, there's this human idea we have about heaven uh, that fails to grasp heaven's eternal realities. For a lot of people, heaven is just that place where we can be kind of concave in upon ourselves. It's the place where we can selfishly pursue our greatest desires for all of eternity, where we can do whatever we want and whatever we think will please us until the end of time. And so if you, if you want to play basketball for all eternity, you can play basketball. The lights never actually go out. If you want to shop, well, you can shop till you, wait, you'll never actually drop. If you want to read books for all eternity, then the Library of Congress will have nothing on the Library of Heaven. Uh, unfortunately, within this idea of heaven, we fail to realize that all of eternity spent trying to please myself with my own pleasures and desires will not satisfy. Uh, there's something about the redundancy of eternal self-fulfillment, of eternal self-gratification that fails to fully satisfy. But what if eternity is about something more? Well, what if in our glorification, we come face to face with a God who is so holy, so transcendent, so gracious, so merciful, so compassionate, so kind, and yes, so glorious that we would give up a thousand days of beach vacations just to spend one day with him. As it says in Psalms 8410, better is one day in his courts than thousands elsewhere. And this is the idea that Jesus gets at when he makes this request. He prays, Father, 
that they will be with me where I am to see my glory that I've had before the foundations of the world. Uh, Jesus desires for us to come to be with him, for us to be in his presence. That's Jesus' prayer for us. And when we're there, he says, we will come face to face with his glory. In 1 John chapter 3, John says something similar. He says this, Beloved, we are God's children now. That's the glory we have already through faith. That's the salvation we have in Jesus Christ presently. We are God's children now. But then he says this, And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You see, that's our glorification. When we see Jesus Christ as he pleasant, presently is, uh, seated at the right hand of the Father on high, when see, we gaze upon uh, the full weight of the glory of Christ, we're told in 1 John chapter 3 that we will be like him. There's going to be no more pain. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more death. There's going to be no more sickness, to, no more fear of sickness. And we're also told that there's going to be no more hostility between people of different tribes, tongues, and nations. This is our glorification that when we gaze upon Christ in eternity, we will become like him. And the book of Revelations reminds us that in that day, people of every tribe, tongue, and nation will worship him together. Now, why does Jesus pray these requests? If at bare minimum, we, we should be encouraged by these requests that Jesus has prayed for our unity, but that he has prayed for our unity in such a way that our unity is intimately attached to him and his work. But he also prays for our glorification because he knows that one day we will come to be with him. I think there is an encouragement in these prayers. You see, as Oswald Chambers says, is we have to learn to live in the gray days in view of what we have seen on the mount. We learn to live in the midst of pressure uh, by gazing upon what Christ has accomplished and what Christ has promised. And so when we know that Christ has accomplished in his work a glory, a, a unity, that is rooted in him, we know that it's possible. And when we know that Christ has promised and prayed for our glorification, we know that we have certainty that it will one day come. That means that we can live right now in view of a certain future. We can be strengthened to know that Jesus Christ has prayed these things for us and that's, that strength can encourage us to be faithful today. And so this is one of the reasons Jesus prays this prayer, uh, that he would encourage us, that he would build us up. However, there is another reason in this prayer that Jesus gives us. Let's look at a few verses here. Verse 21 says this. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
Verse 23 says it this way, so that the world may know that you sent me and you have loved them even as you loved me. Verses 25 and verse 26 say this, O righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Listen, the world does not know the love of God that is available to them in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you look at what the world is in the whole book of John, it becomes evident that it is those who have not believed in Jesus Christ. They have not believed in his name. And Jesus' desire for the world that doesn't know him is that they would come to know him, that they would come to believe in him, that they would come to be aware of the love of God that is available to them in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. If the ruin of the human race is that we have been alienated from God, that we have been separated from God because of our sins, and as a result of that sin, we have been broken and scattered and alienated one from another, then wouldn't it be so that the restoration of the human race would require that we are joined to God in the one body of Jesus Christ? Wouldn't this accomplish so much? You see, if the vertical relationship with God is restored, that can empower and enable us to experience the restoration that happens across the horizontal relationships. That's why Jesus has been praying for our unity. However, Jesus here attaches our unity to the Great Commission. He attaches our unity to the work of proclaiming the love of God into the world, of spotlighting the love of God in this world. Have you ever seen one of those black and white photographs where where the photographer just highlights one element in color? Maybe it's a flower or or a rainbow or, or something else. And they highlight one element in color, but the rest of the photo is black and white. What is the photographer doing? They're drawing our attention to the most magnificent, beautiful, majestic part of the photo. And as Jesus prays, he's praying that the church would be like that photo, that the church would be that spot of color in a black and white world, that the church would be that that light of unity in a world that is broken and scattered amongst that themselves. Church, we spotlight Jesus Christ to the world around us. We are the embodiment and the revelation of the salvation activity of Jesus Christ in this world. We have the word of Christ that can proclaim the unity that is available through Jesus Christ in this world. And we know that when we live out this unity, then it becomes evident to the world around us that the work of Christ actually does transform hearts. 
that the work of Christ actually transforms us into the likeness of God, whereby we represent the triune God in this world and we represent the love that God has for us to the world around us, a world that will look at the unity we have in our communities. And they'll say, what do they have that I don't? What do they have that we don't? And that gives us a, a reason or an opportunity to give them a reason for the hope that we have and the unity we have because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, there's something majestic. I would even say there's something borderline divine when people of different backgrounds, different political opinions, different uh, socioeconomic statuses, uh, people from different parts of the world, people from different heritages, when these people can gather together even in the present and they can worship a holy God together uh, because I think it reflects the unity that we are one day to have in eternity. Uh, and Jesus is praying that our church, uh, the church universal across the globe, that the church would be united in such a way that our unity is a foretaste of what we will one day experience in eternity when we are glorified together with Jesus Christ. Uh, Grace Chapel, I, I do want to ask right now, in the midst of the coronavirus, how are you doing spotlighting the love of God that is available in Jesus Christ? How are you doing in trying to maintain unity with the body of Christ in this season? Uh, there's a quote that I read this past week uh, as I was reading, and it kind of has stuck with me throughout the week. And the quote, quote said this, it said this, Coronavirus virus does some really interesting things, but it doesn't have the ability to turn biblical commands into suggestions. It doesn't have the ability to turn biblical commands into suggestions. And so all those one another commands that we read in scripture, they're still binding. They didn't miraculously become suggestions just because a pandemic hit. And so when scripture tells us that we are to love one another, we are to encourage one another, we are to exhort one another, we are to forgive one another, we are to comfort one another, we are to edify one another, we are to bear with one another's burdens. We are not excused from that in this season. I know it's harder right now because we can't be physically united and it's going to demand that we have some creativity. We're going to have to think creatively about how we will love one another, how we will be united, how we will bear with each other's burdens, how we will accomplish these things in this season. However, we serve the creator of heaven and earth. We serve a God who is infinitely creative and we know that he is in us through faith in Jesus Christ. And if he is in us, then I believe that God can actually give us the creativity necessary to continue to spotlight Jesus Christ together in this world. Church, even if we cannot be united physically, we can be united in our mission to fulfill the Great Commission, in our mission to spotlight the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. So how are you doing in this season? 
What are you doing? Maybe uh, there's some people, as you've experienced the pressure of coronavirus, there's some people that God has placed upon your heart. And just like Jesus Christ, in the midst of pressure, prays for us. Maybe God is having you pray for some members of the body of Christ right now. Pray for missionaries around the globe. Maybe pray specifically for some members here at Grace Chapel in this season. And God has placed them upon your heart even as you experience some of the pressures of this time. Maybe there are some people that you could write a note to, that you could give a call, that you could text, that you could check up on. Maybe there's somebody you know that, that needs a meal and you could bake a meal and make a meal, order a meal, figure out a way to deliver a meal safely to someone in this season. Maybe right now you find yourself with uh, a lot of disposable time. Maybe you have a lot of extra time uh, because you're not in the car for an hour every day in the morning and then the afternoon. And so you've found kind of this extra time that you're trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do with this time? Well, if our unity as a body of Christ is intimately attached to the person and work of Christ in us, then what are you doing to invest in your relationship with Jesus Christ right now? How are you growing closer to Christ so that we can be physically united against uh, together again? We can be united in spirit even more. Maybe now is a good time for you to spend some extra time in prayer. Maybe now is a good time for you to spend some extra time in the word of God, getting to know more about Jesus Christ in whom you have placed your faith. Yes, it is a difficult season. Yes, some creativity is going to be necessary. Yes, it's going to require some devotion and commitment to maintain unity. But do we have the love of Christ in us that causes us to be willing to endure through this season? To pursue creative uses and means of the love of Christ in this season. I want to share a story. It's a story from one of our missionaries that I received this past week. And I've had to remove their names just for their own safety. Uh, But I do want to read this. It says this. Almost two and a half weeks ago, we noticed a truck in the parking lot that is adjacent to the backyard of the mission house that we are living in. We saw it the next day and then the next, leaving only occasionally and then returning. We must have been bored, hey? In our defense, we can see the parking lot from our dining room and the kitchen windows. And we noticed that a young man was in the truck day in and day out. On Friday night, I asked T to go over and see how he was doing or if he needed anything, food or a blanket or even a bed to sleep in for a few nights. T came upon a 20-year-old young man who had lost both of his jobs, his apartment, and had nowhere to turn, especially in light of the coronavirus. T walked over and offered him home-cooked meals several times, but it wasn't until Saturday night that he showed up on our doorstep. From that moment on, we welcomed him into our home and family. It took him a few nights to warm up to the idea of sleeping in our house. We can be overwhelming, I'll admit. Thankfully, the snow and cold came. Mama Bear kept telling him that she would feel better about him not freezing in a truck throughout the night. He succumbed to my persuasion. Now he has a bed in our game room and is a part of the family. Please pray for Kellen. 
He is an unbeliever who has been jaded by a seeming God who allows bad things to happen to good people. He has experienced an unpresent God. Our hope and prayer is that he can see Jesus in skin as he lives with us. While we are certainly far from a perfect family, having Kellen in our home has given us all a renewed vision of why we are here on earth. To give God the glory in all that we do and say and think. What we do for the least of these, we do for him and him alone. We count it a privilege to be able to love on Kellen and point him to Jesus. At one point before Kellen showed up on our doorstep, we told six-year-old S about a young man living in his truck, and we asked him, what do you think we should do for that young man? Without being prompted in any way, S responded, we need to give him food and a bed. He needs to stay with us. Our season requires some creativity. It requires our eyes to be open to the needs of the world around us. And it requires us to be ready and willing to be faithful to spotlight the love of Jesus Christ in this season. Grace Chapel, let's be united. Yes, we can't be physically, as I've said, but let's be united in our mission to proclaim Christ in all we say and do in this season. Maybe today you are watching, you're watching online with us for the very first time, and you would like to know more about the love of God that is available to you in Christ Jesus, a love that can break down the dividing walls of hostility that exist between people who are different and it can unite them together as one. Maybe the idea of eternity that isn't so shallow is interesting or intriguing to you, and you want to know more about that. I would encourage you, there's a link below this video, to reach out and contact us this week, uh, sooner rather than later, as soon as you can reach out. We would love to answer your questions uh, in regards to these things. Let's go to God together in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day and for the opportunity to lift your name up, to worship you, to praise you. We thank you for the promises you offer us in scripture. We thank you for the heart you have for us that you would pray for us, Lord. Lord, we pray that we would be a witness in this world for you. Lord, we pray that we would spotlight the love of God that has been given to us in Jesus Christ to our neighbors, and to all nations. It's in your name we pray these things now. Amen.